Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. It says, Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the seven or having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come. I am Hi, everyone, and welcome to Truth in Christ Radio. Today we learn of God's final warning to the people on the earth of his pending wrath. He sends his angels to give these warnings. The scripture says, fear God and give glory to him. This is what the angel will tell the whole world to do. They can do this and give glory to God and worship him willingly in this life or be compelled to give glory to him later. In the book of Philippians, chapter 2, verse 9 through 10, it says, Therefore God also has highly exalted him, and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Now let's join Pastor Rob for today's lesson. Revelation chapter 14. I labeled this, um, this message the final warning. The final warning. You remember last week we looked at the first five verses of chapter 14 where it talks about the Lamb and the 144,000 Jews that had been sealed to go through the tribulation, no doubt to be a witness, to be evangelists on the earth during that wicked time, a time of difficulty. Uh, More than that, it's a time of great destruction actually. And God had sealed those 144,000 to go through this seven-year tribulation period and, and so we saw them again here in chapter 14. And really, if you think of chapter 14 as sort of being like an outline of things that are going to happen uh, from this time going forward, uh, at least uh, up until the return of Christ to the earth. And we read about that in chapter 19, verse 11, when we get there. But So this is really a table of contents of things that are going to be coming yet in the future from the standpoint of where we're at right now. We're somewhere in the midpoint uh, of the tribulation and when the Antichrist is, is finally revealed for who he is. And so we get into verse 6. Let's just read verse 6 down through verse 13. It says, Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the, seven, or having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come. And worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea, and springs of water. 
And another angel followed, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image, and whoever receives the mark of his name. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, said the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. You'll notice as we look at, as we just read uh, chapters 6 through Uh, especially 6 through 11, you're going to see a threefold warning to those on the earth who follow the Antichrist. And uh, and the warning is to turn from their wicked ways, to to explain and, and share the consequences of what that devotion to this Antichrist, to the beast, is. And it's laid out there very clearly. It's a threefold warning. And again, see this as the grace of God, even during a time of great tribulation. Jesus said, and you've heard this several times, that if he didn't return at the end of this tribulation period, if he did not interrupt it, no flesh would survive. No one would survive it. It would be so horrible, and the grief and the despair would be so great that no one would survive. And so we're talking about a very serious time in history that is yet future to us. It's a time of unprecedented evil. You think it's evil now. You think there's deception now. You think there is, uh, if it's difficult now, it's going to get a lot worse. But the good news is, for all of us, if you are in the church, if you belong to Jesus Christ, if you are born again, again, you will not see this time period that we're studying right now. And so as we look at these things, you know, think about the people around you, the people that you love. Be careful to, to share these things with them. Nobody likes to hear of judgment, but judgment is necessary. It's necessary in God's understanding. He loves tremendously. He loves fiercely. He loves so much that he literally went to the cross to die for you and me. How much more severe could that have been? It wasn't just a really good man on the earth that went to the cross. No, this is God in the flesh. Jesus Christ went to the cross for us that we might never see any of this that we're reading about. That we would never even see the second death, which is far worse than any physical death. Because that second death is eternal. It never ends. I want you to think about that. Because one of the things that brought me to Christ is I was scared to death when I read of these things. I thought to myself, and you know, it's good to be scared sometimes. If it draws you closer to Jesus, then the the fright is worth it. (laughs) But, you know, but it's important that we understand that, that there's good news. The good news is that you don't have to go through that. But there are people who resist Christ and resist his word, and they will be going through a time of unparalleled evil and destruction. And it's coming. Can you feel it already? Can you feel it? I don't know about you, but I can sense it very... It's like the, the, it's ramping up. Things are getting prepared. Things are working in that direction. If you can't see it, you're not awake. 
But I believe you are all awake. Because like me, you're fed up with the lies and the deception. Empty promises. You're fed up with these things. And I yearn to be with Jesus, don't you? Do you yearn to be with him? More than anything, there's no event on this earth that could take me away from being with him. Nothing. And I pray that's the same for you. But we're going to see the grace of God. Let's look at verse 6. It says, Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach. And it's interesting, and he's preaching to who? To those who dwell on the earth. The church is gone. The church is removed. The church is in glory with Jesus. But now, though those who dwell on the earth, notice he's speaking the gospel, the everlasting gospel. He's preaching it. He's preaching it. It's a whole different word there. The word is evangelisto, elite lizo. And and what it means is to do that very thing, to preach, to convince about Jesus Christ and who he is. And so he's preaching the everlasting gospel to those who dwell on the earth. And it's interesting. This is the only time you see this word gospel in the book of Revelation is right here. This is it. But God in his grace is still reaching out to people. See, God will never give up on you. You may think that he's given up on you because of some sin that you've committed or some things that you've done that God can't possibly forgive me for the horrible things that I've done. Do you know that Nebuchadnezzar is in heaven? Read Daniel chapter 4. If he's not in heaven, I'd be really surprised. He gave his heart to Christ. He gave his heart to him. And this was an evil man. Put many to death. He did horrible crimes. An idolater, a womanizer, a drunkard, you name it. An egomaniac. He was all those things. One of the worst. And can God redeem the worst? Absolutely. In fact, I love it when he does. Because it confounds the world. It confounds the wise. He got saved? That's impossible. God's grace is so wonderful. It is so huge. Let your heart be taken away with that. Know that he loves fiercely. He loves you so much. He doesn't care what you've done. You care what you've done. Maybe your sins are worse than some others, but he doesn't look like upon sin like that. He sees sin as sin. Any sin can separate you from God. It doesn't matter how severe it is. We're repulsed by certain sins, but God's like, you're a sinner, and you've sinned. Is my blood efficacious? I love that word. Everybody say efficacious. Is it efficacious to cleanse you from that sin? I believe it is. If it's not, then what he said on the cross was a lie. When he said it is finished, he must have been lying. must have been fake news. But it wasn't. Jesus said it is finished. Your price for your redemption had been paid in full. Amen? Amen? Amen. Just checking. So notice the grace of God, and I love what it says in 2 Peter 3, verse 9. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness, but as long-suffering or patient toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Right? He doesn't delight in the death of the wicked. In fact, what does it say in Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 11? And God says to Ezekiel, as he's ministering to the people in, 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 uh, in Babylon, he says, Say to them, As I live, says the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. For why should you die, O house of Israel? Boy, I think that's a message for America today. Turn, turn, turn from your evil ways. So many evil ways. Do we deserve any good thing to happen to America? None of us deserve it, but you know what? God is so gracious. 
And I'm praying that he is gracious with us on election day. Not that we you know, put all of our faith in any man. We certainly don't. Our king is Jesus. Our savior is Jesus. No one else. However, while we abide on this earth until he returns for us, we have to be good stewards. And we have to live here. And we ought to care about how things go. Because guess what? Your kids and your grandkids are going to inherit the mess. And if we don't do anything, if we don't rise up and do right things, folks, do you understand? Then our kids, our grandkids inherit that. I don't want that. Do you? You want the very best for them. And righteousness exalts a nation. And blessed is the nation whom God is the Lord. Is that still America? I hope it is. And what does he say in Galatians? Paul writing to them, he says, But even if we, or an angel, notice this angel's sharing the everlasting gospel to those on the earth. But Paul says in Galatians 1 verse 8, even, But even if we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel to you than that which we have preached to you, let him be anathema. Let him be accursed. That's the idea. There is no other gospel than the true gospel. There is a gospel, and it's very good news. That's what we need to be about. That's what we need to be sharing. More than anything else on this earth, the gospel of Jesus Christ is what changed me, changed my heart, changed my address, ultimately when I pass from the scene. My address has changed. It was 666, Hades Way. But now it's 777, Glory Way. Amen? <laughs> and so, so that's, your address has changed too. When you gave your heart to Jesus. Isn't he wonderful? Doesn't he deserve praise? Doesn't he deserve glory and honor? Oh, worship the King. Worship the King. In Matthew 24... Jesus speaking on this in his Olivet Discourse on the Mount of Olives, speaking to his disciples of this coming age that's coming. He said, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached, notice, same word here as we see in this verse here that we see here. It will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. So even after the church is removed, there's still going to be gospel activity. The 144,000 are going to be talking about Jesus. Anybody who gets saved during that time, if they're, you know, they'll be speaking about Jesus. It may cost them their life. And certainly we have this angel now toward the end of this great tribulation period, toward, toward the latter part of it, or in the midpoint onward, the last six bowls of wrath. Is, is Before those things start to come to pass, he, there's one more shot at it, folks. That's what he's saying. He's giving everybody another shot at it. Will you believe what your family's been telling you before they ended up missing Remember when I first got saved, and I was reading First uh, Thessalonians four thirteen through eighteen, and I was reading First Corinthians fifteen, and I was reading Revelation. I was so excited about this idea of the rapture. I wrote my mom and my family a letter. It was a fairly lengthy letter, and I explained to them if something happens to me, if I'm all of a sudden missing, and all, the, all and by the way, hundreds of thousands of other people are missing in one day, and like that, this is what happened. And I spelled it out for them. I gave them the scriptures. I wonder if my mom still has that letter. I might ask her next time I see her, Mom, do you still have that letter? Because I'd love to see it. But that's why we need to tell people about Jesus. And don't, don't misunderstand this because there is no way that we are going to evangelize the whole world before Jesus returns. That's just probably not going to happen. Should we act as if we can? Sure, we should do everything we can. But he can come today. 
He can come today, and there's still going to be opportunities. So we don't hold to this doctrine of reconstructivism or this doctrine of dominion theology, which states that, you know, before Jesus can come back, we have to evangelize the world. We have to have a, you know, a Christian government. We have to have, you know, all the Christians in office. We have to build our own kingdom here, and then he can come back. There's no way in the Bible it talks about that. So there's no way that that's going to happen. In fact, the Bible tells us that it's going to get worse before it gets better. Things on the earth aren't going to get good. What does it say in 2 Timothy verse 3? But know this, in the last days, perilous times will come. I say so. We're in them already, and it hasn't even started yet. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers. The list goes on. It's an ugly, ugly list. Ugly list. In our text in verse 7, now it says, Saying, these angels said with a loud voice, this, this angel, and here's his message. Fear God and give glory to him. For the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth and the sea and the springs of water. Again, the final chance for those on earth to get right with God. And he offers them salvation before the seven bowls of wrath are finally unleashed. And then, the Bible says, the the wrath of God is complete. When we get to chapter 16, the bowls, the final seven bowls of wrath are going to be poured out on the earth. It's going to be horrible, folks. But at the end of that, it's done. The wrath of God is complete. And this message here sets up a very clear distinction between those who worship the beast and those who would worship and serve Jesus. Are you going to receive a mark or are you going to receive Jesus? Are you willing to die? You know, there may be some here that if the church was removed today and you haven't given your heart to Christ, you might be thrust into You would be, actually. At some point, you'd be thrust into this period of time called the Great Tribulation Period. Are you prepared to die for your faith if you give your heart to Christ? You can be saved. It's going to be really hard because the deception is going to be great. The delusion is going to be great. God's going to send the delusion, and it's going to be very great. It's easy now to receive Christ, but not so then. It's possible, but it's going to be very difficult. I don't want to play that kind of Russian roulette with my eternity, do you? I would encourage you today, don't wait till tomorrow, don't wait till next week, don't wait until you retire and go to Florida. No, you do this today. Do not wait. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. None of us are guaranteed tomorrow. And are you sure you know where you're going? Because if you don't know where, know for sure, I believe the Spirit of God gives you that unction in your heart where he confirms in your heart whether you are a child of God or not. So important to know that, folks, because he loves you. Don't you want the assurance? I'm so glad I have the assurance of salvation. And it's not because I've done so many good things that I'm like, oh, I've done so many good things. I'll pat myself on the back if I could, but I can't. So I've done no good works. The one work that I did is believe on him who, who, who died for my sin. That's the one work we have to do. And his work is what got the job done, right? So in verse 8, this, this third vision, this third of seven visions, it says, Another angel followed, saying, Babylon has fallen, has fallen that great city, because she has made all the nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. We are going to see later on, we get into chapter 17 and 18, we're going to spend a lot of time on this uh, Babylon and we're going to look at that uh, in more, quite a bit more detail. But notice that it says right here that it's a great city. It is a great city. And as time goes on, as I'm looking more into this, I'm really believing that Babylon that is referred here is not literal Babylon that is in the Middle East. It's covered in sand. Even right now, you know, um, 
Saddam Hussein began building his palaces, but he was, his life was snuffed out, if you remember. And it's just sitting there in ruins. I'm not real confident that this is a, the Babylon that's, that's over there in the Middle East. I believe, and as time goes on, the more I'm reading and praying about this, that Babylon is a code name for Rome. I really believe that. Or they're intertwined somehow, mystically, and maybe there's the rub right there. But anyway, we'll look more at that. But notice what it says in Revelation chapter 17, verse 9, concerning this, this place called Babylon. And, and here is a hint of what it is. I think John was speaking in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a little bit of a code here, perhaps. Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. And we know that the woman rides the beast, this false religious system, and this world empire is going to be at least set up, probably in Rome. It's the only one that really fits. And Rome has always been famously known for the city on seven hills. In fact, there are seven hills in, in, the, in, in Italy, right there in Rome. The Aventine Hill, the Saline Hill, Capitoline Hill, the Esquiline Hill, the Palatine Hill, the Curinal Hill, the Viminal Hill. Those are seven hills. And this city is built on the seven hills. Rome was built. It's known as the City of Seven Hills. No other city has really had that same designation. So Babylon or Rome is the city or the headquarters of this false religious system, this political and economic system that's coming upon the earth after the church is removed. But nothing's happening with it right now. It would take a great deal of effort, money, and resources to build that up to make it something. I don't know. I'm not really convinced that Babylon is the, the real Babylon in the Middle East there in Iraq not convinced that this is the Babylon that's being referred to for many reasons, but we'll look at that more later. But its name is certainly synonymous with evil and corruption and rebellion. And we saw the beginnings of it in Revelation, or I'm sorry, in Genesis chapter 11. We saw this false religious and political system already um, developing on the earth immediately after the flood, and it's going to rear its head again and probably station itself right in Rome, perhaps, perhaps. Now, let's go on in our text here, the next couple of verses. Notice that verses 9 through 11 lays out warnings or consequences for those who take the beast on their forehead or on their, on their uh, hand. It says, A third angel followed them, verse 9, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the cup of, wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out in full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of Lamb. That doesn't sound like a very good thing, does it? But this cup of wrath, we see it in the Psalms. In Psalm 75, it says, For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup, and the wine is red, it is fully mixed, and he pours it out. Surely its dregs shall all the wicked of the earth drink or drain and drink down. So this whole idea of the cup, of his wrath is not a good thing. In the context in the scriptures, it's always in a negative context. In fact, remember when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane with his disciples that night that he was before he was taken, it says in Matthew 26 that he went a little further and he fell on his face, remember, in the garden. He prayed, Oh, my Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. What cup is he talking about? He's talking about the cup of wrath that he was about to take. 
as he would be not only lashed, the beatings, the beatings and the, and the, and the spear in the side, the crown of thorns, all those things were horrible. Most people died during those things. But let me suggest to you that the greatest thing... That he- I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our journey through the book of Revelation. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things, such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester Sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play and Apple Podcast. You may also join us on Sundays and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.